The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. This podcast is brought to you by the American Negotiation Institute, where we put on workshops that are designed to make your difficult conversations easier. These leadership workshops focus on conflict management and negotiation and will give you the confidence you need to get more of what you want without jeopardizing relationships. Check out the link in the description if you're interested in learning more. Our guest today is Lauren Williams. Lauren is a four-time Olympian, three-time Olympic medalist, and the first American woman to medal in both the Summer and Winter Olympic Games. Now she's a certified financial planner, and her company is called Worth Winning, and she offers virtual services to help professional athletes get the answers to the financial questions that matter most to them. In this episode, she shares a lot of great techniques that she was able to use to manage conflict as a leader on the Olympic team, and shows how those skills are transferable now um, in her new role as a certified financial planner. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one, so without further ado, let's jump into the interview. It's so good to finally be on the show. Ready? Yes. It is good to have you. I'm excited. So how about you get us started by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? I am a four-time Olympian. I'm the first American woman to earn a medal in the summer and the winter Olympics. And I have successfully transitioned from sport to life after sport. And I'm now running my own financial company where I help young professionals organize their finances. So whether that is understanding student loans or how much to contribute to your 401k, do we have a budget to get married or buy a house and you name it, all things personal finance, I am helping people figure that out because I didn't get very much help figuring that out when I was competing as a professional athlete. And I feel like I would have had a better opportunity to set myself up if I had had a professional really be able to help me as opposed to just like sell me crappy investment products, which is what actually <laughs> happened. Gotcha. Very cool. That's an interesting uh, transition. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on today was to talk about the leadership techniques and uh, strategies that you learned while you were on the Olympic team and how those things translate to now your role as an entrepreneur. And so what are the the main things that you learned through your times at the Olympics when it comes to leadership and persuading the people on your team? I think there are a lot of life skills that you can learn through sport. Um, Some of the things that stick out to me, though, are the idea of attitude and how you manage that, you know, both your personal attitude and then the attitude of those on your team. So sometimes you have negative Nancy on your team and she can bring everyone down. And if the goal is for the team to win and to be out there and putting their best foot forward, someone's bad day shouldn't affect everyone and create a bad day for all of us. We can still win even when someone is feeling weak, feeling down, or, you know, not them best selves, but we need to know how to best manage that. So really figuring out how to motivate people who don't have a great attitude, and then also like figuring out how to manage your own attitude. So one of the rules that I have is a 24-hour pity party. 
something goes wrong, you have a bad day, you lose a game, a competition, et cetera, you get 24 hours to pout it out, be mad, or do whatever it is that is your thing you do when things aren't going right, but then you get over it, you move on. You have to put a set of parameters around how you're going to manage this thing that didn't go right. Otherwise, it'll take on a life of its own and it'll start to manage you. And before you know it, it's weeks of bad days and bad luck and, you know, it becomes a whole mindset. So really putting your attitude in a box and putting the, like you said, the negative things that happen so that they don't affect your attitude is one of the things I did in sport and one of the things I'm continuing to do as an entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is definitely a roller coaster ride where some days you're up and other days it's like, oh my goodness, why did I ever start my own business? What was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) It's the same principle. I put that in the box. I say, okay, today was a terrible day. You know, I didn't land the big client or whatever the case may be, all these extra bills came in and pout it out, get up and you start grinding again the next day. And you, you put that in the past and look forward to the future. I love that. That's a great point. And one of the things that I really appreciate about this idea, especially with the 24 hour pity party, is that you recognize that these emotions are going to happen as a human. They're inevitable, but you don't let them control you completely. You say, all right, the human part of Lauren right now is feeling badly, but I'm going to let that feeling sit there and let it marinate for a while, but I'm going to put a timeline on it and I'm going to stop it. The benefit for your team, if you're a leader, is that you still are true to your emotions and you're not burying them deep inside of you and pretending like you're an automaton and you don't have emotions. You're admitting that you have emotions and and letting it run its course. But at the same time, you're not letting it impact the way that your team sees you or negatively impact the team in a way that brings them down. Yeah. And there's a saying, you know, it's called don't fake the funk. And it's one of those things like we're so good at putting up that wall and pretending like everything is okay. It's like, you know, really don't fake it. Go ahead and be funky for a second, but get over it. So you're completely right about that, like not bottling all that up. And so for you as a leader, if you have somebody on your team that's displaying negative emotions in a way that's detrimental to the well-being of the team, how do you handle that? Well, I think the best approach is head on. You got to go right directly to the source. Like, I think one of the things that we frequently don't do is we're like, Ooh, seems like something's a little bit off with so-and-so. Uh, I'm going to just let it slide. I'm going to, you know, let it play itself out as opposed to, Hey, you having a bad day? Something I can do to help you or is everything all right? Is there any, any way like trick daddy has a part of the song that says it happened right there where it went wrong. And that's exactly how <laughs> I uh, approach problems is you know, right where it's going wrong is that you've got to be able to nail that and address it immediately versus letting it linger and become something bigger or, you know, even letting a person's emotions run away with them to the point when, when you finally do address it, you know, they're beyond the point of even being reasonable because, you know, this thing has started to fester. So one of the things I do is you said, see the problem, address the problem, and you can continuously address it. And then the other thing, too, is to be mindful of other people's feelings. So one of the times that I can remember as a a teammate, I said something that offended uh, a young lady. And I said, I didn't I didn't do exactly what I just said. I I waited a little while. I was kind of like, I think she's being weird, but I'm not really sure. Wasn't really sure why she was weird, because I didn't feel like what I said was offensive or, you know, I wasn't aware. I just like I feel like she's treating me differently. And finally, about two weeks into it. I said, hey, is, is something going on between us? Did I do something to upset you? 
And, you know, she went like kind of like kind of off the rocker, like you said, in the sense that like this thing had been festering for two weeks and she hadn't had an opportunity to talk about it. But in that moment, I realized it was really important for me to, even though I didn't mean to offend her, to be present with what it is that, that she was feeling. And so there was the fact that I didn't plan to hurt her feelings, but there's also the fact that the way she took it is what it is. And so in order for us to move forward as a team, I needed to acknowledge that and move forward in kind of like sympathizing with her or empathizing that, okay, I made you feel this way. Even if I didn't mean to make you feel this way, it's in everyone's best interest for me not to dwell and trying to get you to see my point of view. It's in my best interest to say, hey, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. How can we move forward? This is brilliant. And the two things that I'd like to highlight out of that is the curiosity and the humility of what you said. Because when it comes to conflict management and maintaining decent relationships, either personal or business, you need to have a healthy amount of curiosity. When you see something or feel something is a little bit off, you use that as a trigger to investigate and you investigate through conflict. And so that was a conflict. And what I've found is as I've started to learn more about conflict management and learn more about the psychology and really start to walk this way in my business and in my personal life, I realize I'm in conflict all the time. But it's a good thing because my relationships end up benefiting because of that. Because once I get that signal that something's a little bit off, I investigate immediately using the skills that we talk about on this show to learn more about it. And then the second part is the humility, because you were willing to accept the reality that even though you did not mean for it to be offensive in any way, she took it as something that was offensive. And instead of putting up a barrier and saying, well, no, I'm right, you're wrong, you should get over this, it's not a big deal, you stayed curious and you started to learn more and you recognized, okay, I made a mistake. It wasn't intentional, but it was a mistake. And now we can work together through the process of conflict to make the relationship better as a result of it. And it's so important that, like you said, it's not intentional, but it was a mistake. I I love that you just said that because that's the thing. Sometimes we get so caught up on, well, it wasn't intentional. And so it couldn't have been a mistake, but it's not the same thing. You know, not meaning to do something versus, like you said, the way that made someone feel and it being, like you said, turning out into a mistake or turning into a catastrophic event, like you just need to recognize in that moment that though it wasn't intentional, it was in fact a mistake because this can alter the the series of events that are supposed to happen going forward that are going to be productive for all of us. I like it. And something else to consider is whenever you find yourself in that situation where you're battling between intent, whether it's you trying to defend yourself and defend your intent, or you're trying to accuse somebody of malicious intent on the other side, instead of focusing on blaming them, Instead, try and focus on contribution, and that helps you to adopt that stance of humility because, again, if you focus on intent, you're not going to feel like you did something wrong in that scenario. But then if you ask yourself, what did I do to contribute to this situation? Then you can recognize, I see now how what I said contributed. And so when you think of it in terms of contribution, it removes the negative stigma that often comes with blame. And the other person is more willing to accept their contribution to the issue. And you are going to be more willing to accept the contribution to the issue. And then once you both have done that, then you can work together to work through it. We are now offering conflict management and negotiation workshops for companies. If you like the content here and you think your team would benefit from getting a customized seminar, then all you need to do is email me or go to the American Negotiation Institute's website to learn more. And now back to the show. 
The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, I love it. And I will say, too, that humility is the single most important resource that or skill that I had to master that was super valuable in all of my success throughout my career. I think I came with kind of a a humble attitude, kind of, you know, I'll give it to myself to be like naturally born with it or I don't sound very (laughs) humble right now, but, (laughs) but honestly, like, yeah, approaching things with humility is definitely something that I always saw the benefit of, you know, how can I, how can I learn from this person? How can I obtain information from them and show them that I'm coachable? You know, even if it's my peer, my teammate, it's not about, you know, somebody being superior to someone else, but to step into a position from a humble standpoint and allow yourself to be a part of a team, knowing that humility is going to be the driving factor is the most important skill that I think I was able to master, but also that helped me in every area that I was successful. Well, let's move on to the second point when it comes to leadership that you mentioned. And you talked, you spoke about goals. Can you tell us more about that? So goal setting is one of those things that definitely transfers between, you know, financial organization and also, like you said, sports. So we're very goal-oriented in what is it that I'm trying to achieve. All aspects of life, you need to set goals set parameters around how to achieve those goals and then go after those goals. And so in competing in sport, it was very much the approach to setting goals that I think has helped me in my, you know, my financial career where it was, okay, let's look at the big picture, the championship, you know, whether that's the Olympic games or the world championship or whatever the big race was for the year and work backwards to how many races do I want to have before the championship? Okay. Here's how the races are going to play out all right, how many practices do I need to have in order to get to the first race and be ready to go? You know, how many practices in between that? And so working backwards from here's the big goal, what are the steps that are going to allow me to be able to achieve that goal? And then starting once you've kind of created that master plan to live in the moment of this is the next step that I need as opposed to 
looking forward all the time to that big goal. So I was always looking, you know, what's the thing that I need to conquer today in order to be great tomorrow? And it was hit all these times at this practice. You know, I'm not feeling well. I'm super sore. The practice from the day before was really hard. What are the things that need to be accomplished during this practice, despite how I feel, in order for me to achieve the set goal for today? And those two boxes now be checked towards what the biggest goal is, which, you know, is the master list where the championship is. And that's exactly how I approach handling finances for my clients, running my business, and also like goal setting for my clients. What's the thing that you want to achieve? Finances, you know, there's lots of numbers, there's lots of number crunching and analysis and things like that. But really, if it's not goals based, then what's the point? We need to be thinking about, okay, here's the goal. Here are the steps to achieve that goal. And then work backwards to what do I need to save today? What do I need to do with this particular paycheck in order for it to be one step in the right direction towards being retired by 40 or being financially independent at by 50 or whatever the case may be? So you, you get the big goal, you work backwards from that, but financial planning is all about goal setting. It's not about analysis, 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 just give me your paperwork and let me crunch some numbers and it'll all be beautiful. It, it doesn't work quite like that because as we know, life happens, things change and our goals are going to change. So we need to be able to readjust based on the goals, not really so much based on the numbers. That's brilliant. I really love that. And I, I like how you connected it to the way that you prepared as, as an Olympian. In your current role with your uh, clients now, what do you do if they have a goal that you feel is inappropriate or not in their best interest? How do you work with them through that? That's when the numbers come into play. So ah. You set the goal. And then, like you said, we work backwards to, you know, what is it going to take to achieve the goal? And so, for instance, someone may say, in five years, I want to have $3 million. And, you know, that's the goal. And I'm like, okay, well, why why is that the goal? First of all, we need to, you know, discover, like, where did that number come from? And sometimes it's not based on anything, which means it's not truly a goal. It's just kind of a a random aspiration thrown out there because who wouldn't want to have a lot of money? You know, if, it, if, it, if anybody was written a check for a million dollars, I don't know. I don't know very many people that would, you know, turn it away. What is the number for, for you specifically based on what it is that you're trying to achieve? You might not even need $3 million in five years or whatever it is, but okay. So if we're going with our scenario of 3 million. You make a hundred thousand dollars a year. So in the next five years, you're going to earn $500,000, which we didn't take out any taxes or living expenses from yet, yet and still we're going to have $3 million in five years. So just throwing the numbers out there, you know, that doesn't take any fancy analysis to be able to say, okay, this is probably not the most realistic goal. There's no investment returns that are going to turn your 500000 into $3 million in five years and allow you to live and pay taxes and do other things. So it's also like creating the realistic expectations for clients whenever they have goals that maybe are not based on, you know, hard facts or a solid foundation. I love this. And this segues perfectly into another point that you made about expectations as one of the things you learned. Can you tell us about that, too? Yeah, the ability to manage manage expectations is one of the skills that I think is very important. And I didn't realize that I was honing that skill as an athlete, but now that I look back and it's a really important part of my financial planning practice of, you know, setting the expectation for the client and then managing those expectations. I look back on my career and I realized that there were so many instances where I had to manage the expectations of whether it was my team. So I had an entourage of people helping me from a nutritionist to a physiotherapist, my coach, the weight coach, 
just so many different people and so many different people that will say, you know, their thing is the most important thing because they want you to be great. So it's like, you know, you got to lift these weights, you got to lift these weights at this time. And, you know, the coach is saying you got to run and you got to run at this time and you got to do this many reps. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. From an expectation standpoint, they both want me to be great, but I need to manage their expectations in the sense of which one is going to be the most important for me to do, which order should we do these things in? And then what time am I available to show up and actually <laughs> because I'm the vessel? <laughs> so understanding that, you know, people have these expectations and they want you to, to, you know, reach your full potential and they may set the expectation, the bar very high, but what realistically can I do to meet the expectations and, you know, and or exceed expectations, but what's the roadmap to get there? So it's like, I lifted weights at 6 a.m., and then I would come back to practice at noon. So I had enough time to recover from that workout. But it was also, I'm not going to do a hard running workout that afternoon. It's going to be more detail-based. Whereas, you know, on the days that I don't lift weights, so I lifted weights on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So Tuesdays and Thursdays were the days where I would do the more intense, longer workouts where your legs needed to be fresh. And, you know, you were going to build up a lot of lactic acid because of that. You didn't want two legs that felt like big dead weights. So, yeah, it's really about, like you said, this idea of managing expectations there, but then also managing my own personal expectations of, of what my team can do for me. So it's, everyone is not at my beck and call every moment that I want them to be. They have other athletes that they're coaching. They have other, you know, things that they are responsible for, a family. And though the reaching the Olympic gold medal and the top of the podium is the most important thing to me, you know, what are the reasonable expectations that I can ask of these people? And then what are, you know, the things that I need to be doing on my own that is not their, not necessarily their responsibility in order for me to do my job. So it's like, you've got your roles and your responsibilities. I've got my roles and my responsibilities. And we need to make sure we're communicating clearly about what the best path is for both of us to be able to achieve what we need to and that both people are doing their part. It's almost like you know what's coming because <laughs> that was a perfect segue with clear communication to the fourth thing that you mentioned uh, you learned. Can you talk a little bit more about the uh, clear communication and what that really looks like? Communication and managing expectations go together because when you communicate clearly, then people understand what the expectation is and you said everybody can go off and execute in a, in a manner that's going to be the most efficient. But talking about things directly having the hard conversations, which is one of the things that's really hard, um, you know, when organizing your financial life, you know, talking to a client today, like, have you talked to your parents about what their like retirement life looks like? And it's like, no, why would I do that? And it's like, well, you love your parents, right? You care about, you know, their future. And what if they didn't save anything for retirement? And they're like, well, I think they're doing okay. They have a house and they're still working. And it's like, well, what if they haven't saved a dollar? And, you know, they're never going to be able to retire. At some point, they're not going to be able to work anymore. So what are you going to do then? And it's like, oh, like, wow, that, that could happen. Like, are you going to leave your parents on the street or are you going to take care of them or help out? And they're like, of course I want to help out. Well, that affects your financial plan. So what, this is where communication comes into play. You're having key conversations and really direct conversations. They may be uncomfortable. You know, who wants to talk about dying or whether or not they saved? And parents often don't want to talk to their children about, you know, money matters because it's like, I'm the mama and you're the kid and you need to just do what I say, not as I do. And, you know, like get out of my business sort of deal. But, you know, that role can reverse and it, it ends up usually being when they're in a dire situation. But if we can prevent that dire situation from happening by simply communicating and saying, hey, 
you know, parents, do you have a good financial plan? No, we don't have a good financial plan. Hey, call my financial planner or some financial planner and let's see what we can do to fix this situation because I don't want it to derail my financial plan. Um, so tough conversations is a really uh, key part of communicating, but then also not getting all worked up when you know that there's a sensitive topic to talk about. Um, so if your coach is pushing you too far in a workout, be able to sit down and say, hey, you know, I really feel like my body is not going to be able to sustain this in the long term. And I feel it breaking down. I'm, you know, I'm not recovering as fast versus I ain't doing this workout today and not offering <laughs> any explanation. Um, that's not the best way to communicate. So, you know, thinking about the person on the other end and how the information is going to be received and then how they might communicate back to you based on the information you're sharing helps people shape the way that they're able to communicate in the, in the best fashion. This makes a lot of sense. And, and really what we're seeing here is that these are all negotiable opportunities, you know, because when you are working with somebody, for instance, as a financial planner, um, a wealth manager, you would see that, okay, they need to do this, they need to save this much money, et cetera, et cetera. And you can look at it at a big in a big picture type of format and say, I need to get them from A to Z. That's my goal. But what we're seeing here is along that path and throughout the relationship, there are going to be points on that journey where you need to persuade people, where you need to communicate clearly. And those little instances are, are what I call mini negotiations. They're not the big negotiations that we always talk about, but they are those everyday opportunities to um, get more of what we want, avoid things that we don't want, and strengthen relationships. And so you can use these negotiation skills to manage people's expectations and, and get everybody on the same page. If you do it strategically and approach it like it's a negotiation, not just an everyday conversation, your results will be a lot more beneficial, a lot more favorable, I should say. They certainly will. And I think it's really important that you have that strategy. That, that's the important point of, you know, here's the strategy, here's the master game plan. We know things don't always go as planned, but because we have the strategy and we're communicating about it and we're managing our expectations as things kind of go left or go right and you got to pivot, as opposed to reacting, we are, that's exactly what we're doing is pivoting. Oh, let's get over here instead um, because we have a, the general master plan in place and it's based on our values, which when you have a, a good set of values that are governing you, then that, it is those small negotiations that you were just talking about. It's like, oh, okay, do I value this Louis Vuitton purse or do I value my kid, you know, this contribution to my kid's um, college fund? And you're negotiating with yourself because, you know, which of these things from a value standpoint is more important. And it may be one, it may be the other, but it's those small negotiations that make a big difference in the long run. And so you have this big strategy, you refer back to the big strategy when you're faced with this negotiation of, ooh, do I do this or do I do that? And then you have the answer based on what your values are because you had a, a big master strategy that said, hey, this is what you're trying to achieve. If you didn't have any long-term goals or a real overall plan, then in that moment, you're just like, oh, I'm just thinking about right now, I'm going to buy this purse and life goes on. And then you get five or six years down the road and your kid has no college fund. So yeah, I think it all, it all is a lot of small negotiations. And when it comes to the strategy, um, I think we could all do a better job of preparing. So shameless plug for this free guide 
If you haven't yet downloaded the 18-page Ultimate Negotiation Guide, it has a it has the three characteristics of the of successful negotiators and the top three most downloaded free guides we have. So it's the Negotiation Preparation Guide, which can help you with these everyday negotiations that Lauren and I were talking to you about. It has the Conflict Management Guide for hostile negotiations and a Salary Negotiation Guide. So if you click the link in the description, you could get that for free or go to the American Negotiation Institute's website so you can download that. But Lauren, before you go, because this has been awesome and I can talk to you forever because we have done that (laughs) in the past. Frequently. Um, (laughs) Can you tell the audience about your podcast before you go? Certainly. So my podcast is called Worth Listening. And we discuss all things money. So guests come on, they tell their money memoir. And the idea behind the podcast is that we need to have these discussions. As I I was saying, those uncomfortable conversations, those negotiations, we need to just always be talking to one another about our strategies because that makes us more powerful as a group. You know, it's not always about hiring a financial planner as much as I would like you to. It's about having this like, oh, what are you doing with your 401k? Oh, there's a max? Oh, I didn't know there was a such thing as the the maximum contribution. I thought I just did the employer match. And look what you can learn from a friend by simply having a conversation. And it didn't involve any numbers. And so that's the, the real model of the podcast is that it's not about the numbers. It's about the strategies and that we need to be discussing money with those around us all the time because friends don't let friends have effed up finances. So <laughs> check it out. The Work Listening Podcast. We've had lots of professional athletes, um, uh, other celebrities come on, plenty of young professionals that just come and they tell their money story. And it's something that the listener can relate to to say, hey, I'm not alone. I'm, I've gone through this thing too. Or, oh, I'm also doing that cool thing with my money. Or this is the way that I'm going about saving. Oh, I never thought about saving like that. Maybe that could work for me. So it's about finding your own unique way to organize your finances. I love it. And yes, I strongly endorse the show. I was a guest on the show and it was funny. It turned into almost like a counseling session for me. (laughs) So it was a lot of fun. But yeah, definitely check out the show when you get a chance. But Lauren, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. This has been really great. It has been wonderful. Thanks so much for having me, Kwame. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave a review and subscribe and tell your friends. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. And when you leave reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us in the searches. Thanks again for being a listener. I'll catch you in the next one.